The honeymoon is over. Are you familiar with that phrase? Of course. <laughs> that saying has been around for a long, long time. How long? Well, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we discover when God confronted Adam about his choice to eat from the forbidden tree, Adam rolled on his wife before he was even offered a plea bargain. We hear these words of Adam in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, perhaps you already know this, but this was recent news to me. In a few ancient manuscripts, there is a verse that comes right after verse 12 that did not make it into our modern translations. And the verse reads like this. And then Eve said to Adam, thanks for having my back, jerkwad. The honeymoon is over. <laughs> okay, I, I just made that up. As far as I know, that's not in any ancient manuscript. But try to convince me that is not what Eve was thinking at that moment. Every couple has one of those moments. Every honeymoon comes to an end. It may be on the very first day of your actual honeymoon. It may not be until six months after you say, I do. But there comes that moment when you begin to realize that the person who stole your heart can actually really hurt your heart. That moment when you realize that the person you thought was perfect is actually perfectly imperfect. Now, we don't notice this when we're dating because we have this huge surge of dopamine that blinds us to this reality. But eventually, eventually you see very clearly just how annoying, just how frustrating, just how sinful your spouse can be. And they realize the same about you. Every honeymoon ends and that's not only true of a marriage relationship it's true of parenting as well like every first time parent I thought my little boy was the smartest cutest most wonderful baby ever but all of that changed the day that I was sitting on a couch I was holding up Turner over my head in just such joy and I was smiling at him, and he was smiling at me. And then without so much even as a heads-up pops, he had a major blowout. <laughs> One of those blowouts that not even a double diaper could contain. And when I looked down and I saw the mess he had deposited on one of my favorite shirts, I thought to myself, he's a little punk. In every single relationship, the honeymoon eventually comes to an end. That's true in the physical family, but it's just as true in the spiritual family. Now, hopefully some of you, especially those of you who are fairly new to the Campbell Church, you're enjoying a nice honeymoon season, but sooner rather than later, you're going to realize that this church is made up of sinners just like every other church you've ever been a part of.
And most likely, sooner rather than later, someone is going to let you down. They're going to offend you. They're going to hurt your feelings. I wish that was not the case, but I promise you, eventually the honeymoon is going to end. That's the bad news. The good news is this, that just because the honeymoon ends doesn't mean that our relationship has to end. In fact, I, I promise you that our relationship can be stronger and better and deeper after the honeymoon ends if, and this is a huge if, if we choose to live out, if we choose to practice a very important one another. This particular one another is mentioned by Paul in the letter he writes to the church at Ephesus and also to the church at Colossae. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we read these words, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul writes, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I cannot overstate the importance of offering forgiveness when the honeymoon ends or really any other time that you're hurt. Forgiveness is the glue that has the potential to bring broken relationships back together. Now, that's not to say that reconciliation will take place or even should take place. Sometimes the very best decision we can possibly make is to cut off a relationship with a person who continues to do harm to our lives. But even in those cases, we must offer forgiveness. Having said that, please understand that forgiveness is one of two necessary ingredients for reconciliation to actually take place. The other ingredient we talked about last week, it's, it's repentance, it's confession, it's coming clean with the mistakes that we've made and the damage that we've done. And we spent some time talking about that last week, and so this morning we want to focus on the second key ingredient, and that is forgiveness. When forgiveness is withheld, there is zero possibility of reconciliation. And if there is one thing that God desires for his family, it is for all of us to be one with one another. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, we're so familiar with this prayer of Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us to the world, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. When there's any degree of division in the family of God, it robs God of his glory, and it suffocates the good news of Jesus Christ. That one who gave up his very life to reconcile us back to God in one another. Forgiveness is an absolute must. And that means that there can be no place for grudge holding in the family of God. So, let me ask you a question. Are you nursing a grudge towards anyone at this time? 
Now, before you quickly offer a denial, no, I'm not, let me ask you just a, a few questions to help you think about it for just a moment this morning. This question number one, do you find yourself regularly revisiting how a particular person or group of people have hurt you? Do you fantasize about how good it would be to get even with a certain person? Is there anyone that you find yourself particularly critical of? Do you ever find yourself feeling when a certain person faces adversity in their life? If you answered yes to any one of those questions, that tips you off that there's still some forgiveness work that needs to be done in your life. Now, for me, I, I didn't have any issues until I got into this this week, and I, I started to go through these questions that I was writing up. And the Holy Spirit, when I asked that question, is there anyone in particular that you're critical of, it just brought to my mind the name of an elder from a past congregation. And that was a tough moment because I realized the Spirit's right. When the name of that particular individual comes up in conversations, even though it's been several years ago, I still tend to be pretty critical of that man. And I realize I still have some forgiveness work that needs to be done. And perhaps you do as well. Perhaps you're thinking, well, it may be true, but you don't understand. I was hurt so deeply that by this particular person. I don't know if I'll ever get past it. I mean, I, I don't know if it's in me to forgive. And it may not be. But I know who is in you if you are a baptized believer. The God who forgave Israel of being an unfaithful spouse is in you. The Christ who prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do over those who nailed him to a cross is in you. The God who promises, I will not remember your sins is in you. You see, the spirit who lives in us can empower us to forgive. He desires to and can unite us. And I think that may be one of the reasons that Jesus calls us to hit our knees when we are filled with a desire for justice rather than reconciliation. We read these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 39, and then verse 43 through 44. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Then in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm convinced that the prayers that we offer for those that, who've hurt us, that we don't think we can actually forgive, those are the prayers that the Holy Spirit uses to turn our heart from a desire for revenge to forgiveness, even care. Beyond that, I'm absolutely convinced of this, that when we pray, God, will you help me forgive the person that I, I don't think it's in me to forgive, that is a prayer that God honors. Now, why am I convinced of this? I'm convinced of this because so many of the stories that I have heard about people forgiving horrible atrocities, things like murder and rape and incest and theft and unfaithfulness and racism, 
it began with that type of prayer. Now, if God can empower a woman to forgive a father who sexually abused her when she was a child, he can empower you to forgive the family who didn't invite your kid to their kid's birthday party. He's able to do that. But it probably won't happen until you get out of your head and onto your knees and ask God to empower you to forgive. Now let me offer a second suggestion to those of you who may be having a hard time reaching a place of forgiveness. It's simply this. Spend more time focusing on what Christ has done for you than what the person has done to you. More time on what Christ has done for you than what the person has done to you. You see, the more in tune we are to our own sinfulness, the greater the likelihood we will be to forgive others of their sin. Jesus tells a parable that really illustrates this truth and reminds us of how important it is. It's in Matthew chapter 18. This is the story, beginning in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he, could pay, until he should pay back all he owed. It's easy to convince ourselves that we're making a real point by how badly we've been hurt by other people when we choose to nurse a grudge. But in reality, the only point that we are making is how out of touch we are with how much we have already been forgiven by Christ. Listen, people who know they have been forgiven of much, they forgive much. In fact, at its very basic level, forgiveness is making the decision not to seek revenge. And if you're having a hard time with this, here's what I want to suggest to you. Is that you spend much more time at the foot of the cross, thinking about what you've been forgiven of in life. You say, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's possible to forgive but I'm not sure I want to forgive. Why should I let that person who has hurt me so deeply off the hook so easily? 
And that's a fair question. It's a question that I certainly understand. There's definitely a need and a place for justice in this world. And so let me share with you a couple of thoughts. One is simply this. First, you're not letting that offender off of anything if you choose to forgive them. You're not. Because that person doesn't answer to you, do they? That person answers to God. And God is not only a God of mercy, he is a God of justice. We read these words in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. How God will revenge, or seek revenge, avenge, rather, how God will avenge, when God will avenge, will we get to see God's retribution, I don't know. In fact, these questions don't even matter. They're things that we don't even need to worry about. The important thing is, what we're reminded of by Paul is that God has our back. And and he is going to do what is right for us. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? When I choose to continue to nurse a grudge rather than to forgive another person, what it really shows is this, is that I do not believe that God is going to handle my hurts in a just way. And so I feel like I've got to hold on to it. And I've got to make sure I get justice. Forgiveness is not letting a person off. It's a decision to stop trying to do God's job for him. And as I said a moment ago, at its most basic level, Forgiveness is the decision not to seek revenge. There is, however, one person we let off the hook when we do make the decision to forgive. Do you know who that is? You got it. Thank you, Ming. It's ourselves, right? We all know this, but let me remind you of it anyway. When we choose to not to forgive, we are only hurting ourselves. Bitterness has physical consequences. You're full of bitterness, It sucks a person out of their energy and their vitality. Bitterness also has emotional consequences. Studies indicate that there is a direct link between an unforgiving spirit and depression. That's what you're doing to yourself. Bitterness, there are relational consequences as well. When you choose to hold on to the bitterness and unforgiving spirit, it makes it very difficult to form new relationships and really nurture those relationships. I mean, who wants to be around a person who is cynical and negative and full of self-pity? Not many of us. Well, Jesus does, yes, me, but for the rest of us, it's tough, right? And yet those are the characteristics of an individual who's nursing a bitter spirit or an unforgiving spirit. When you're stuck in that place, when you're constantly thinking about how you've been wronged and how you've been hurt and the things that have been done to you that shouldn't have been done to you, it fills you with cynicism, it fills you with negativity, it fills you with a sense of pity. And that's tough for other people to want to be around. But most importantly, or tragically, it has spiritual consequences when we choose not to forgive others. An unforgiving spirit robs us of the ability to exist in close relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
Listen to the words of John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Listen, the command to forgive one another is primarily for our benefit more so than the benefit of the other person. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey shares this thought. Not to forgive imprisons me in the past and locks out all potential for change. I thus yield control to another, my enemy, and doom myself to suffer the consequences of the wrong. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon this morning, I I pray that you'll hold on to this. Forgiving those who have wronged you is one of the kindest things that you can do for yourself. And so do it for yourself this morning, if not for anyone else. Now, if that doesn't convince you to forgive others, then hopefully this will. God is going to forgive you based on the way that you forgive others. This is really the point that Jesus makes at the end of that parable on the unmerciful servant. He goes on to say this in verse 32 through 35. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. It's a sobering parable, isn't it? So what does it mean to forgive somebody from their heart, from your heart? Well, it doesn't mean that you pretend that the hurt never took place. To do that, that, that really messes up your ability to heal, and it messes up the other person's ability to grow. For us to truly grow, we need to understand how our mistakes, how our sin have actually hurt the other person. So it's not pretending that hurt didn't take place. And it's also, it doesn't mean removing the consequences. Not at all. There are natural consequences of sin that the guilty may have to pay and probably should pay, even though they've been forgiven. One of those consequences may be the change of relationship, at least for a period of time. And forgiveness, it does not imply forgetting. There are hurts that take place in our life that no matter how hard we try, we're probably not going to be able to forget it. They're just things that are there. Now, hopefully over time, you don't think about it as often, but to completely forget it, that's probably not going to happen. So what is it to forgive from the heart? Here's what I'd suggest it is. Forgiveness is choosing to let go of the resentment. It's refusing to dwell on the hurts. It is pardoning whatever debt we may feel we are owed. That's forgiveness. So as we wrap this up, let me share one other thought. Forgiveness is a process more than a one-time event. It's a process more than a one-time event. It's probably going to take some time to work through the hurts that you've experienced until you can get to a place of true forgiveness. 
Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't forgive until you feel like you've reached that place of true forgiveness. Forgive as soon as you possibly can. Realize that you're probably going to have to make that decision time and time and time again until you're able to actually forgive that person, okay? And so it looks like this, and praise team, you can come on up if you want to. You may start this morning and just say, okay, convicted i've been reminded of a person i haven't forgiven yet god i'm going to forgive that person i need your help i'm going to forgive the person and then tomorrow morning all those thoughts come back up and you start all over and you do it again the next day and the next and the next until you find yourself in a place of true forgiveness and so as we close this morning i want to invite you to stand as we get ready to pray together please stand with me And as we prepare to pray with one another, I want you to please give consideration to the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, do you hold anything, anything against anyone? If so, Jesus says, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Why? So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Loving Father, we are a sinful people desperately in need of your forgiveness. We thank you so much for taking the first step and coming into the world to show us that you are a God of grace and mercy and love. Jesus, your very life so that we might experience true forgiveness. May we be mindful this morning that we've been forgiven of so very much, so much more than we'll be, ever be asked to forgive in others. And for the people that are still in our minds, our memories, maybe even in our lives that we're still struggling with. Please empower be able to forgive. Some days it feels like there's no possible way we can get there. The hurt's so raw, the hurt's so deep. And maybe even the hurt continues from time to time. So we lean on you. We ask your spirit to do a mighty work in us so that we might get to that place of forgiveness, knowing it's what's best for us and knowing it's a gift to the other person. And may through it all, may we be one so that your glory may be known in this world and so that the good news of Jesus Christ might be made known to all people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.